It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 745, that's 745 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Richard Smith. Richard's the co-founder and head of sales at Refract. Now in a competitive sales situation, your biggest differentiator as a salesperson is how you speak, how you sell to customers, how you help them buy. And every seller can use coaching to help them improve their skills in all three of these dimensions we talked about. And Richard and I are going to dive into how to use the latest tools, such as conversational intelligence solutions, to amp up the quality of your coaching. Now, among the topics we'll also be talking about today are why it's important to learn how to sell like the underdog, and how to keep that underdog mentality present in your sales at all times. Why dashboards don't measure the quality of what happens in a sales call. The importance of pregame practice and warm-up before sales calls. I mean, actually practice, not just visualize, but practice out loud what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. We'll also look at how conversational intelligence tools help managers assess the true quality of sales calls. So we'll be getting into that and much, much more. But before I get to Richard, I want to talk to you for a second about VanillaSoft. VanillaSoft is the industry's leading sales engagement platform, and they know that sales today is all about speed. And that's why you need to download VanillaSoft's guide on how to optimize your speed to lead. You can get it now at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. Unlike traditional offerings, VanillaSoft does things just a little bit differently. They've eliminated the list that cherry pickers love. Instead, each sales development rep automatically gets fed the next best lead based on that moment in time. VanillaSoft instantly reacts to external triggers like buyer intent data and pushes those leads to the front of the queue, and they automatically revise your lead cadence for your entire team when management shifts priorities, such as the usual end-of-quarter push to hit the target. It's all about speed. So download VanillaSoft's guide that will teach you how to optimize your speed to lead. Get yours now at VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. That is VanillaSoft.com forward slash Andy Paul. All right, let's jump into it. Richard, welcome to Accelerate. Andy, delighted to be here. And you're joining us from where today? So I am joining you from uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. Yeah. You're you're a fan of the team? Well, you know, I I am. I'm a huge, huge football fan, the real football. Um, And (laughs) um, yeah, I mean, I I enjoy, I follow teams that have Americans on them. So, you know, starting starting right back as an American, DeAndre Yedlin. So, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to hear that we've got some supporters over there. Um, it hasn't been the happiest of times as a Newcastle uh, Newcastle fan over recent years. Um, but, well, you've got the yeah. worst worst owner in professional sports, perhaps. So, I'm I'm glad I'm glad even people in the states recognize that too. So, <laughs> well, maybe I mean I am a a diehard <laughs> soccer fan. So, uh, if if you read my my sometimes daily, weekly emails that go out to my list and a lot of soccer references in there. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, but they've been fun to watch this year because they've been producing results, which is, you know, I think inspiration no matter what profession you're in is there's a team of, you know, moderately talented uh, players. I mean, right. No real superstars on that team. Um, yeah. Fair comment. Yeah. 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 I mean, and playing in the most competitive league in the world and producing great results against the top teams this year. Yeah, is... yeah, no, that's a, uh, I think I'm, I always play, uh, play my cards quite safe when trying to get positive about, about Newcastle. So uh, <laughs> forgive me if I'm not uh, bouncing around with enthusiasm. I've just seen it go, go wrong too many times. Yeah, but I mean, they've stayed up. Despite that, right, and and so quite an accomplishment. As I said they've been entertaining. I've watched a couple of the matches, uh, like the Man City match and uh, yeah, Tottenham match, and now where they, yeah, I said I think from a, a sales perspective, you look at that as you know somebody who's the underdog coming in and doing what they need to do to produce an outcome. And yeah, yeah. 
you know, oftentimes I see salespeople sort of fold up their tent. So, I mean, I, I started by, was telling the story recently. So I started my career selling for a company called Burroughs. So at that time, was, you know, it was a multi-billion dollar company selling computer systems. But at the time, IBM owned 80% of the market. Okay? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing even comparable today, right? Then IBM the, you know, had all these antitrust interactions actions against them by the U.S. government. But by default, every time I went to sell, you're competing against IBM, and we're the underdog. Mm-hmm. And yet we still had to make quota, and yeah, I made President's Club and did well, but uh, you have to, you can't fold your tent just because you're competing against somebody that says, oh, they got a better track record, better brand name, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a fair, fair point. I mean, one of the things <clears throat> I'm very vocal about is uh, we live in a and are working in a sales world that is more competitive than ever. Um, I'm from the the the, the, the SaaS world and um, in the the sales and marketing tech landscape. Even mm. in that that landscape is a, is a it's a busy old place. Even when you break it down into the individual categories, sure. Well, your category among them. Yeah, yeah, sure, and there's there's you know an emerging category that's still got five or six uh uh players in there um and you know i think one thing i always uh say to salespeople is that um your competition might be very similar because your products and services might you know 80 percent of your products and services might be very similar to, to the to the next one the biggest differentiator that you have as a salesperson is is ultimately how you how you speak, how you how you uh, sell to customers, how you help them buy, how you help them see problems they didn't didn't see they have, and that is for me almost the the biggest differentiator any salesperson has in today's world. Well, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, I, I wrote about that in my first book eight years ago. I mean, that was that even then is that, and it's been the case. I mean, this is, this is not new. This is why I try to get across sure. to people. It's always been the case that you, as a salesperson, are the front line of differentiation. And this, I said this message just vis-a-vis the story I just told you is, is you know, sort of looking back through my career, you know, certainly when I went against Burroughs or when I was at Burroughs and went against IBM selling these you know, sometimes large computer systems to companies is we were the underdog every time. IBM, this whole uh, <laughs> sense of panic they tried to induce in their customers, <laughs> what they call fear, uncertainty, doubt, was called the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, doubt. Um, is they try to instill that in all of the customers. And this whole expression was, you know, you never get fired buying from IBM. I mean, I had, right. I had, I lost business to prospects that told me that, right? <laughs> they weren't even going to consider, but you still mm-hmm. had to find a way to sell. And then, yeah, after that, I worked for a series of, of uh, startups for the most part. Though I, right after Burroughs, I was at Apple in the early days of Apple. Right when IBM introduced their PC, people were writing Apple's obituary. And mm-hmm. my job was was to go out and convince uh, businesses to buy Apple IIs and Apple threes to use in their business. Um, mm-hmm. And yet we found a way to do it. And we found a way to get you know, software support and start building something. It took years to, to come to fruition. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. But, but then, yeah, working for startups, selling mission-critical applications or mission-critical communication systems for large companies – I was always the underdog. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I'm an absolute believer. In fact, it's sort of the theme of my next book coming up, that it, it's, it's all about you. And to be able to um, influence the outcome. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So much of that, <clears throat> so much of that resonates resonates with me, and hopefully resonates with with listeners. Uh, because I think in sales, we salespeople are guilty of making lots of excuses of why everything's always against them in, in winning deals, and it's it's usually never their fault. <laughs> um, and and I think once they once salespeople realize that so much of success in sales is one driven by by hard work but 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 secondly is is the quality of interactions that they have with, mm-hmm. with customers, how they help customers help help customers buy, then they instantly become more successful. They stop relying on their products to do all the selling all the time. Um, because 
customers are very rarely looking for products. They're just looking for solutions and you're just about helping them find those solutions. And they're not even looking for the best, if I'm doing air quotes for people that can't see me, the best solution. As right. I, To your point, the point I, I bring up all the time is, I believe, and my experience has showed me, and there's you know, Nobel Prize winning research to sort of substantiate this, is that you know, most people make the good enough decision. Right mm-hmm. when you're busy or work, uh, you know you want to get this. Yeah, looking at Refract.ai's products or those in those category, they need to make a decision. You know the the incremental return they'll get from additional investment of time searching <laughs> all the vendors just isn't there. And yeah. so, you know, this idea of I think. And this is one that sort of goes hand in hand with what I talked about before is, is there's a lot of virtue in this world when people are making good enough decisions to being first and being yeah. f- being fast. And yeah. fast being defined as, yeah, I, I believe there's a sort of an influence point that an individual creates with somebody. And if you can be the first to get to that influence point, then you substantially increase your odds of of winning the deal and that's based on your personal influence not the influence of the company yep yep no you you mean you are definitely on the same page there oh good we can end now (laughs) (laughs) i was just we're only here to validate me no that's (laughs) i agree it's but i think it's what's what's overlooked in sales is is i think there's too often we focus on the wrong targets and Mm -hmm. Again, I was having this conversation with with a client last week. It's that you've got your salespeople at this client so focused on getting the order, and and I've written about this and and spoken about as when I was selling it. As I gained more experience, I started to understand. It's like, well, huh? There's actually two decisions being made here, and the first decision being made is: Are we going to make a change? Right, and what are the options we have for making a change? And customers make that decision first. Sometimes it's, in fact, there's research that says that in most cases, that's binary choice: are we going to do it or not? Right, and so when they make that decision, they're going to do it. That first, make a change. They've done in their internal business case, and they've got a vision in mind of what it is they're going to be able to achieve. That needs to be the vision they're going to achieve with your product, right? Because yep. the second decision, which I, <laughs> I always said was a second-order decision as well, who are we going to make that change with? Well, if the prevailing vision in their mind is, you know, my product, I've got a much higher chance of winning that order at the end of the day. So you should be focusing much, uh, you know, disproportionate amount of your selling resources into those first few interactions where you're building that level of influence that enables you to become the subject of that first, you know, that first sort of choice, you call it. And yeah. there's and there's a guy in the United States, professor, has since retired, has written extensively about this. And, and it was sort of funny, when I first read about his research, I had already come to this understanding through my own experiences. Like, you know, you get the sense of validation, like I just wasn't crazy. But this is the way people look at it. And so too often we direct our salespeople. Let's, we say, okay, well, sales is sort of like this uh, cumulative point value, right? That you accrue over time, where it's really, I think it's much more, you almost sort of peak before they make that first choice, whether they're go, no go. And that's really what you'll be focused on. Yeah. Um, what kind of, uh, what you've just gone through there um, just makes me think a lot about about my my world of selling in my in my company um and i think as salespeople traditionally have have much preferred to be dealing with those customers who are in the market looking for a product um you know those leads that they get from the website where someone's booked a demo there mm-hmm. they're already they're already along the, the the buying cycle and the salespeople are hungry for those for those opportunities because oh, they're looking for a solution and it's just about us showing them how great our product is um I actually feel, from my experience, I, it's actually much better to be to be speaking with a customer before they've actually got to that point. Because, to your point, Andy, if you can start to educate a customer through conversation um, about a problem that they 
don't really realize they have, but they have got a problem. And you kind of shine a light on that and you give them that that insight mm-hmm. um, that makes them turn their attention to thinking, actually, we need to solve this. Then they're much more likely to be do business with the the person, the salesperson who made that problem exposed. Man- manifest, right? Yeah. Rather than being in a situation where they've already kind of identified the problem and you're in a competitive situation with three or four of the companies that they've booked a, a demo with on that, on that same day, uh, where, you know, you, maybe you're the, the fourth company that they've, they've booked a demo with. And so you're already down the pecking order. Um, you know, give me the, give me the options where they're not looking for something every single time, because I feel <laughs> like, you know, I'm always going to be the person that they're, if, if I do my job correctly, I'm, I'm the, I'm the guy they're going to want to go with because I'm the one that's helped them understand the problem. And, and they haven't even thought about checking out anybody else. I mean, I, I agree. you hear me hesitating a little bit because <laughs> that's great. But in those other situations you identified, See, I think that presents the opportunity for you to just go in and kill the competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love those the second situation as well because, yeah, <laughs> I just knew that I could crush them because I could create such a positive experience through dealing with me, me, yeah, that that you know, for the most part, it was based on the assumption that you know, ninety nine percent of the other sellers out there are crap. <laughs> and and they somewhat are. And so if you are, to your point earlier, are you willing to work hard, willing to do the things you need to do in terms of connect with people at a human level, activate their interest in your product, and so on. It's actually think in those competitive situations, you can it's it's as beneficial. And I think that too often we assume that, oh, they're talking to other people, eh, that's gonna be harder. I'm my point is, well, if they're actually to the stage where they're looking at multiple vendors. Then A, they're much more likely to make a decision. And B, knowing they're gonna make a decision, I can really stand out. And I'll just give you an example, isn't it? Is uh, and I'm sure I've told the story here on the show before, but one client I worked with was doing a great job of developing a bunch of inbound leads mm-hmm. in a very competitive space, a tech space, a combination of hardware, software. Um, and <laughs> they were sort of a up and comer, but there are some bigger companies in the space. And so I got called by the CEO. He said, look, you know, we're getting a bunch of leads. We're just not doing a very good job of, of converting these into orders. And looked at the process and was like, well, A, you're not doing a very good job of following up on the leads. And yeah, maybe you don't have the right people following up. So we sort of went through and said, let's just change this. So went from, you know, maybe half the leads being followed up over the course of three or four days to every lead got followed up within 30 minutes of the time they received it. And we, from somebody who really, a good inside salesperson who really understood the product and the technology and the customers. And we doubled the size of that company purely on the strength of that sales process because the experience of the buyer was so positive. Right, which is you know invariably people wanted to see a demo, and so if they'd have a salesperson call back within thirty minutes, they'd get the more likely to get the person on the phone because they're calling back quickly. Uh, they'd walk through discovery. These were you know we we moved most of the sales pure salespeople out and moved engineers into sales roles, but so they could instantly build a bond at a common level with the the people they're speaking with, and. About 30 minutes into the call, you know, the, the buyer said, Well, this looks really great. Is, you know, could we get a, a demo of the software? And yeah, so I just I trained them to say no, but we can do it right now. Yeah. And so, nope, can't schedule one, but I can do one right now. So invariably, in large majority of the cases, within 45 minutes to an hour, that company was three quarters of the way through their selling process. You know, the, mm-hmm. the influence and the trust they built, the interest in the product they built, all the things you need to have to it's what I call a constant influence, they built within an hour. Oftentimes, their competitors, who are the bigger guys, weren't calling back for three, four days. Yeah. And we found yeah. this even, we found an incredible account penetration strategy into competitive accounts because a lot of times customers had to, yeah, get a couple bids, right? Even if they had an installed or a, a current vendor, they'd get a competitive bid. 
we'd just crush them on that just based on the experience of dealing with the company and the selling process. So long story. I agree with you. I mean, I, I like that. But yeah, give me a good competitive situation. I'll just be better than everybody else. And you train your people to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, very, very fair uh, argument put forward. Um, and what you pretty much hinted there is uh, so much of sales is just being different to a lot of the other people out there. And uh, I say this to my team <clears throat> all the time, even down to you know, the SDRs prospecting. I say, mm-hmm. all you need to do is just be different to the rest because guess what? The rest aren't very good. Um, and uh, there's more noise out there than ever before. But uh, which the benefit of that means it's easier to stand out. It's easier to catch your buyer's attention. You just have to do things the right way. Um, you only do things the right way if you coach and help your salespeople do the things the, the right way. Um, and, so, and encourage the right instincts. I agree. I, mean, yeah. I think that, that for me, as I was coming up, and I don't know if I was encouraged to do this. I don't remember at this point encouraged to do it. Or I just, since I didn't really have sort of a conventional sales or conventional background to become a salesperson, I, maybe I developed it because I was feeling uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. for me, it was always about what are the things I could do that were completely under my control that would make a difference for the buyer? And for me, the first and one of the main things I sort of glommed on throughout my entire career, and I've written about this extensively, is responsiveness. Is, you know, if I could be the first to respond to a phone call, the first to respond to an email, if I could first understand the problems, you know, it's, it's first and fast makes a difference. And unfortunately, in sales these days, so many people misinterpreted that to say, oh, well, you know, if you just pick up the phone to call somebody back and you, you don't know anything, well, of course, right? Responsiveness, as I defined it, is you know, you're being fast with value. If Attentive. You're, if you're fast with value, then you're in a golden position. And the thing is, it's, it's completely under your control. I mean, do you need to learn more about your product? Learn more about your product, right? Need to know your customers better? Learn more about your customers so that when you get back quickly, you can help do a better discovery call. You can better understand what you need to do to respond to move them to the next, the next step. But again, it's all within your control. It doesn't have anything to do with your product or your pricing or your features. It's you. Yeah. Classic sales phrase of times the biggest killer of deals. And that stems from even that lead coming in to the time between your discovery, your demo, as you pointed out before, um, mm-hmm. uh, the more the more days between those different interactions with customers, the risk of that deal going south increases because, Absolutely. guess what? People get busy with other things. Your next appointment is the one that gets moved off the schedule. You're now in chase mode as a salesperson. Um, it's the, the quicker you can accelerate people through the pipeline is is again so much of it is in your control and i think what i see this is like they're almost like self-limiting beliefs in salespeople. Mm-hmm. you know they, they they get someone's interest on the phone the prospect's ready to book an appointment and how often does the salesperson try and boot that appointment for that afternoon or the next day what, what they naturally do is say oh what is what does next week look like? Because mm-hmm. they, they, they feel like they're asking too much of their prospect to boot it, to boot that next com- conversation, you know, 24 hours later. Um, and, uh, and, and, and they don't need to do it. They just have this, you know, supplement <laughs> belief in their head that, Oh, I need to give the prospect seven days breathing space. Yeah. Uh, and again, that the risk of that next appointment, Falling off the schedule is just instantly increasing every every doubt you, you you put it. Yeah, well, I, I agree, hundred percent. That you must have read my first book, Zero Time Selling, which I talked about this specifically. I I called that the indecent interval, and and yeah, it's it's just oral tradition, right? Or it's it comes from somewhere, right? It's sort of in the ether yeah. for salespeople. Is you know, I sent somebody a page long quote. They must take a week to resorb a. <laughs> a page-long quote. No, they've looked at it in five minutes. Say, hey, can I call you back this afternoon? Let's review it. I mean, let's go. Yeah, just it, to your point precisely, it's you start adding this cumulative time lag. And yep. I'm a huge believer that, that uh, well, I was at a, a conference, backstory. So I was at a conference and sales conferences hosted by a fairly prominent person who was making this point. It says that, yeah, I... 
he said, we've got all these yeah, review sites now where people can review salespeople. And he says, what we should do is we should have something we can review buyers, right? And, uh, you know, because <laughs> – and, um, you know, these buyers are taking too long to make decisions. And and I went up to him afterwards. I said, yeah, just FYI, I don't think there is a slow buyer. I think there are slow sellers. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, there are instances where customers you know, delay and so on. But in the main, again, my experience has showed me across the board is that we as sellers are the limiting factor for our buyers. Is that if there's a, a, a model that psychologists came up with for uh, adapting change, and there's a couple of different versions of it, sort of five or six steps that somebody has to go through to adapt to this idea of making a change. And that what the science has shown is that they don't move from one stage of the decision-making process to the next till they fulfill the information requirements for the one preceding it. Mm-hmm. So if the customer slowed down, chances are it's on you. You haven't yep. given them the, the information they need to move to the next stage. Yeah, I think this all ties back to um, something I've been talking a lot about recently is this <clears throat> whole concept of doctor-patient relationship in sales and uh, how you should be seen as the doctor, your prospect is the is the patient. Uh, and this stemmed from Mark Rebeuge, uh, CRO, former mm-hmm. CRO of HubSpot, who described the relationship. And it, it makes so much sense. And uh, I'll come on to how this is tied into what you just said there, Andy. Um because typically what happens, uh, if you don't, when you go to see the doctor, you listen to everything that they tell you. You don't, you don't argue back. You don't barter with them. You don't tell them what next steps should be. The doctor is telling you what next steps are. You're going to get this medication and you're going to take it three times a week and you're going to come back in a month's time and you listen and you, you respond to that and you, and you pay attention to that. And that's how, that's, that's how sellers should be selling. But what happens is they they put all the control in their buyer's hand. They get to their end of the uh, discovery calls. And rather than saying, okay, we've, we've identified we can help you in these two or three areas, what happens next now is you're going to uh, speak with uh, John and Mary and we're going to involve them in the next conversation where we're going to, uh, I'm going to actually present how we can solve these specific, specific issues. Um, so that's the doctor patient relationship and you're taking the the prospect by the hand and gui- guiding them through your your selling process not their buying process your mm-hmm. selling process mm-hmm. oh yeah um, what what a lot of sellers do is they get to the end of that discovery call and they say oh, so what do you think next step should be they hand over the control of the prospect and the prospect is kind of they're not used to buying things and so they don't really know and so they kind of guess and they say oh well i think i need to go away and have some internal conversations and then i think we need to just um you know look at budgets and i think you know maybe we can you know speak in a couple of weeks time and the, and the suddenly the the buyers kind of that their, their sales cycle has been extended because they're not in control of that sales process that they've let the, the customer become the the, the, the doctor and um, anyway tidy t- your point is um, coming back to the reason that sales cycles are often so long, it's not because of the customer going slow. It's because the salesperson is 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 handing over the reins of control and not being that doctor, that that pres- that prescriber of this is every this is what happens at every step of the journey. Um, and I think part of that is because a lot of companies don't have really um, one, they don't have uh, really strong sales processes that salesperson follow. But secondly, um, they're not spending enough time actually listening to how their salespeople are actually selling and. And, and, and therefore are unaware that this is happening. Okay. Well, that's a great segue into talking about refract. Uh, <laughs> unbidden, as a matter of fact. So, um, and, and it sort of raises a question. It's so, may just, I'll hold the question and just may tell mm-hmm. people about what refract does if they're not familiar. And, and uh, we'll jump into that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, the reason that we created Refract was, um, in the main, that the the idea was was from our own experiences of. If I take myself as a as a fresh salesperson, as a fresh SDR, um, really not having the benefit of anybody listening to my conversations, how I was selling over the phone, how I was trying to book meetings, um, nobody coaching me, nobody giving me feedback on how I can improve, and and really just me just winging it. Mm-hmm. Making, making tons of mistakes, uh, trying to figure out how to make a cold call when I'd never made one before. Um, 
and probably as a result being far less successful and making far less money than I perhaps could have in my in my career. Um, yeah, you know this problem of you know managers and companies not actually investing time listening to how their salespeople sell to help increase the the outcomes that they have is is actually we found is a was a big problem. Sure, um, managers and leadership not investing time in my opinion uh probably a lot of that is excuses but that's another uh, that's another story but not having the time to spend listening to how their sales people sell um and and really not not having maybe even the skill set to 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 coach their reps on how to have better conversations too many managers making coaching decisions sat behind dashboards and crms saying you know Oh, you, you only made twenty calls last, yeah, last yesterday. That's the problem. You need to make forty calls mm-hmm. without without actually understanding right. what's going on those calls. So uh, Refract is the kind of solution to those problems, um, giving insights into uh, for for leadership, for sales reps, into the conversations that are happening, the voice of the customer, um, uh, and ultimately helping companies improve those conversations through a range of coaching tools uh, and when we have better conversations we have better conversions and, and drive more sales success right so to even be more specific people listening if they didn't really this is the conversational intelligence category of which yep. we talked about before lots of it's a competitive space a lot of lot of uh, companies coming into it uh, over the last last several years is yep. how are you differentiating yourself other than through the Great sales experience or working with your team. Uh, how does Refract differentiate themselves from Gong Chorus, Ring DNA, yeah, sure. Dial, dial Pad, whomever? <clears throat> yeah, sure. So uh, there's uh, a couple strands to that. Um, so, uh, first of all, and I think not brushing over it, key really is that uh, to, to differentiation our space, in my, my opinion, is it's not just through the technology. This is an emerging technology. A mm-hmm. lot of companies have never had anything like this before. A lot of companies don't really know how to make best use of it. Right. So a lot of time and effort we spend is on the, I guess, the, the post-sale from a customer success point of view, helping companies understand what's going on in conversations, helping them uh, understand trends, that are happening in sales calls that perhaps they're not tuned into and really providing those recommendations of how they can, you know, search for the right things in calls. Um, we've also combined, uh, when we think about coaching, I kind of break it into two things. Think about salespeople. First of all, you've got kind of what happens if we use the football analogy um, and how a lot of managers in that space coach, they'll, um, they'll coach their reps on what happened in the game, the kind of the game tape, the, mm. the reality. But actually, before you get to the game, you actually you also have to practice. You have to train for mm. those situations. So um, within our technology, we've built in some elements of practice, uh, really helping reps get comfortable and prepared for asking better questions, handling objections, whatever they may be, uh, making sure you know they feel comfortable and warmed up before they go into those conversations. Um, some of the kind of the realms that we're moving into is is and again speaking back to the challenges of managers being uh time challenged to coach and listen to calls right is is uh looking at things like um uh triggered learning experiences so based on what's going on in a conversation automating what happens next the kind of feedback and learning that can um that can be given to a salesperson Within their sales calls, without the, without the reliance on always having needing to have that input from a manager. You mean like having questions surfaced in real time during the call, for instance, or it's more um, based on things that were maybe spoken about in a sales call. Maybe it's about the competition. Maybe it's around a product question that right. you struggle to answer. Um, being delivered that content and that education almost straight after the call's finished. Um, after the call, to, not, not during the call, though. Not during the call. Um, because that's certainly the direction some some people in the space are headed, is, is how do we, they real-time provide questions, based on the words that are spoken during the conversation, provide questions or yeah. contextual information or something. It's definitely, like, I'm seeing that trend, and it's I think it's, it's a very complex place to be in because if I'm a salesperson on a live call, um, 
the the pointers and the real time feedback that you automate has to be so bang on the money. Um, otherwise, it just becomes a false distraction, perhaps, uh, for the salesperson when they're in that conversation. So I think there's a lot of complexities around that. Well, I think, um, and I think the biggest one, my concern is, <laughs> is that when, if, when, and inevitably it's happening, it is happening already, but is that I think we run the risk of. <laughs> And I use this in a you know, very nice fashion. It's creating you know a generation of salespeople who just robots. You know, yeah, kind of kind of dumb, right? Because they don't have to think. Because yeah, yeah. if the information's being you know ask this, ask this, ask this. Uh, yeah, I get concerned about that because then it become more robotic. To your point, no, I I totally agree. Um, and actually, I think a lot about getting better in sales is actually making mistakes, is is understanding where you went wrong and putting it right next time around. Uh, and yeah, to your point, I, I totally agree. And I think that's why when you start doing that, you take away maybe the human element mm. in a sales conversation, relationship between two people, um, because nobody wants to nobody wants to have a conversation with a robot. They want to have a conversation with somebody that's human but they also trust right uh, so so well, yeah so yeah well a question for you so so much of the emphasis of of and this is getting back to uh, the doctor patient thing you talked about before is because this is a, a part that sort of fascinates me and i think we we ignore is that it seems like so much of the emphasis in the conversational intelligence space even though a conversation by definition is bi-directional um, is that it's all about what the rep says. And I don't see enough emphasis on listening, right? I haven't, I've, you know, read all these articles, uh, talked to all, you know, lots of people, uh, obviously on the show. And, and I've never really heard anyone said, well, yeah, we're using conversational intelligence in order to help our people learn how to listen better. Because mm-hmm. in, um, there's a great book called Blind Spot, you know, the hidden biases of good people. And uh, they cite chapter and verse about the fact that we all have these sort of inherent biases that we carry around with us. And not, you know, like racism or so on, but it could be on a range of topics. But they influence how we hear information. And uh, my wife's an instructor at a NYU School of Medicine, and and um, her daughter had gone through the curriculum there as a physician now. But she talked about this one class she was taught where uh, they'd done research that found that when a doctor goes into an examining room, they they sort of consciously have to filter through like I think it was like two dozen biases in order to mm-hmm. accurately hear what the person was saying. And that starts with age, gender, nationality, ethnicity, you know, the way their appearance, all these things that have an impact on how they, how they actually listen to what someone is saying, right? Not just hear it, but actually process the information. Right. And I was wondering, how do we, how do we factor that into these conversational intelligence tools? Say, look, it's, it's yeah, because right now, yeah, we've got one of your competitors that reliably is banging out all this content saying, we've listened to millions of calls and yeah, use these words at this point in time. It's like, really? That's, uh, how about hearing better first? Let's not make the assumption we need to use those. What was the context the words were said in? Yeah, and I think there's a lot of risk with just taking that kind of data on face value because I, <laughs> I, think, first of all, <laughs> I think first of all, there's so much context in the sales conversation that goes beyond just you know, uh, using these specific words and mm-hmm. um, you know, using these words in the first five minutes of a conversation leads to these outcomes. I just think there's 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 far too many variables to be living your sales profession by by those rules. Um, but actually, a lot of the things you talk about are totally valid, uh, and this is kind of where our technology is going as well. Not just in showing somebody how much they were speaking versus listening on a, on a call, which I guess is the first indicator of that. But what was the customer saying? And I, I challenge anybody out there to you know, record one of their conversations they have with a prospect 
listen back to that call afterwards without any distractions. And I guarantee you'll hear things that you didn't hear the first time around. Guarantee mm -hmm. it. Yep. Um, and uh, so much of this is, it's, it's tough. It's like active listening, as, as it's described as the, probably the, the hardest skill to master in sales uh, when people truly understand what active listening actually is. Uh, so some of the things that where this technology is going is being able to show um, what were the emotive nuggets as I describe them. These are the little words and phrases that are sometimes just quietly dropped into a conversation by a prospect that a salesperson may not have picked up on. Being able to trigger when those words were spoken in a call where as a salesperson, we weren't aware, we just weren't tuned in. Or even um, show me the conversations where the, the salesperson was asking at least this many questions. Mm -hmm. um, or show me the, the, the calls where the prospect was asking this many questions. Uh, and this, this all ties into, we want to, we want to alert and, and highlight to salespeople where they're, they're not picking up on things in calls. They're not picking up on everything that ultimately could be the, the route to deal success because right. when they are tuned in, they, they pick up on the, 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 the buying signals and the missed opportunities. And that helps them get back on the phone of the prospect and actually, you know, bring that in the conversation. Um, but what yeah, is, also, I'm sorry, sorry go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was, I just had a question. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is, is this idea of, of talk time ratio is, is there a possibility that we have it all wrong? And I say this from the perspective of, yes, we look at everything from the seller's standpoint, which is we want to be asking questions that, has the customer talking about their needs and requirements are. But then we look at the customer's agenda during those same calls, much as we say, look, I'm in meeting with this, this prospect because I'm trying to gather information. Hey, they're saying, look, we, <laughs> we've got Richard Smith coming in from Refract. We want to get some information from Richard. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't if you were the buyer, <laughs> assuming you had a similar system for the buyer and the buyer is looking at their calls, they're going, Oh, that wasn't a very good call because I spoke more than than they did, and I was there to gather information from them. Yeah, yeah, no, it really. And again, this comes back to um, conversation data at face value. Is it's not enough, I and mean, this is what we tell customers all the time. I have I have prospects say to me, "So, Richard, tell me what is the what is the optimum <laughs> speaking versus listening ratio? What is the optimum number of questions?" And I kind of say. It would be wrong of me to tell you that because every situation is different. Every company is different. Me selling conversation intelligence software, that conversation is going to sound very different to the the person down the road who's selling million pound real estate mm -hmm. um, because it's different buyers and different personalities. Um, and sometimes customers want to learn as well as, you know, they, 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 they expect the seller to, to give them more information. Um, so that it absolutely has to have context. The still, this is why we tell people all the time, don't make judgments based on what, just what the data, the data is there to give you leading insights, but so much of the context comes into, you know, what the conversation actually mm -hmm. sounded like. Um, and I think this is where, um, there's definitely a challenge that we, that we face. Um, and, and I think ultimately I, I would still stand by, however, the, the golden rules that in certain types of conversations, if if the data is showing that the salesperson was speaking for eighty percent of the time, then they they probably they probably didn't learn enough from the prospect or get enough engagement for the prospect. But I, you know, there's there's certain you know there barriers there which which um, will give much more telling indicators than in general we should be listening to the conversations to get the context. Yeah, yeah, I got asked a similar question not that long ago about. Yeah, the right bounce, and I gave an answer sort of a non sequitur. I said, "Yeah, a seventy-five percent win rate," <laughs> and <laughs> then go look at right whatever whatever's working for you. Uh, keep doing it. I mean, it's yep. everybody has a different style, and you touched on this before. And I think this is this is the place where I think that these tools become so important. The conversational intelligence tools become important is coaching the individual to the individual, not saying, here's the standard, this is what Michael Jordan does, therefore everybody should act like Michael Jordan. 
And unfortunately, that's sort of the rush and you sort of sort of the lowest common denominator for usage, which is being driven oftentimes by the content companies are putting out, which is, you know, use these words, da, 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 da. And therefore, that suddenly becomes the model that they want everybody to, to, to migrate and gravitate toward. And, yeah. you know, if you're going to apply this and say, look, here's best practice across the board, and everybody needs to be coached to that's best practice, that's just, that's, you're going to get a bad result. That's false. And, you know, it's probably going to be controversial people listening to this. Nah, everybody is unique. Use these tools to coach people to better their own performance in the context relative to their own performance, not relative to what everybody else is doing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's the, um, even within an organization, uh, everybody has their own strengths, weaknesses, their own style. You know, mm-hmm. some people some people are better at uh, asking tougher questions. Some people are better at uh, setting really tight agendas. Um, and I think when we think about coaching, coaching is ultimately about not trying to transform everybody uh, across so many different skills and behaviors. It's it's finding the one area that can be tuned, um, and and that can be you know that can be different across everybody. And this is when I get asked the question, "What's the difference between training and coaching?" Those you know those words sometimes mm. get kind of used in the same, almost as the same the same word and the same in the same breath and. Uh, it's, it's a very easy one is like, you know, training is standing in front of a room and teaching everybody about skills and principles, but it's not until you actually coach on the individual level that you, you identify the needs of that specific person. Um, and so I still, I still hear a lot of that going on out there of people still talking about training and coaching as the same thing as the same things and trying to train the same thing into everybody versus an individual level. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I think it's I think it's worse than that because <laughs> because yeah, I differentiate between education and training, and yeah, we need to educate our reps more, which is part of what this coaching is that we're talking about is is education. You know, how do we how do we? Yeah, people think it's not scalable to coach people individually, and and I just disagree, right? I think that you know the fact is that. If you look at the possible permutations, and I haven't done the math, but you know, you're you as an individual, Richard, could go to work tomorrow and you could speak to one of seven billion people in the world, and no two conversations are ever gonna be alike. Mm-hmm. By necessity, there's not gonna be alike. You're dealing with seven point five billion different personalities. How they react to the information you give them is different. As we need to use these tools, I think. First and foremost is is coach people in adaptability, right? Is is because we've got this huge trend now in sales is and unfortunately encouraged by some of the tools. Similar is that you know data, quote unquote data, tells us this is what you need to do. These are the words you need to use. You need to be like this. When really the world is just 180 degrees from that. Is it's like yeah, in this situation that might be right. But you're going to encounter an unknown number of situations. Are you prepared to to react appropriately in that situation, or can you only sell one way? And if you can only sell one yeah. way, then you're dooming yourself to be unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah, no, to- totally. And uh, that's why I think so much of the the value in in tools like ours is actually being able to evaluate lots of different selling situations. You're selling the same product to different personalities and different types of companies mm-hmm. is understanding how those, again, comes back to the voice of the customer is adapting yourself to the, the, the approaches, the, the personality of the, each individual seller that you're, that you're, that you're coming across. Um, but just becoming more aware of how to handle call situations better. And you may say different things and different words in those situations, but if you have a general tactic or methodology of how you approach that that's the main thing mm-hmm. um and and again for scalability of coaching this is absolutely what technology like ours can do where before as a manager you you would there wasn't really a strong way of, of being every you know 10 10 reps at once um and this is about you know helping managers get 
quicker insights into, okay, these are the conversations you should be paying most attention to. And these are the specific parts of the conversation you should be listening to and honing your coaching in, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But, but again, so much of it actually comes down to the, the coaching skills of the manager still. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but this has been a great conversation. I didn't get to any of the questions I was going to ask you, but hey, <laughs> we had a great conversation. So um, tell folks how to learn more about uh, Refract and how to get in contact with you. Yeah, sure. So uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on there. Um, go to our website, refract.ai. Um, That's R E F. R-A-C-T dot A-I. Yep. Perfect. All right. Well, Richard, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking time out of your evening. And uh, go Newcastle. This is, this is, <laughs> we're recording this in the, if you're a, a soccer fan like I am, you know, this is, this is the best time of year because they've, in December, they, in England at least, they compress <laughs> about 10 matches in 20 days. And uh, so it's always, always something to watch. Yeah, it makes Christmas that 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 bit that bit better. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. Uh, not to bore people who are listening, but yeah, I went over to England. I think it was five years ago. Went over and had tickets to see Crystal Palace play Swansea City uh, Boxing Day match, um, and it was you know unfortunately it was a boring match, but it was fun. It was the first one I'd seen, so it was it was fun to to see. But uh, Gosh, it was like two days later. It was another match, and and we tried to find a place to, to watch the match. It was Man U was playing somebody, and and we we're in London, and it's like, well, yeah, that one's not being shown, or like, you know, the net was. I I go back to the hotel concierge who was trying to help me find a place. And I said, you know, the irony is, is that all these games are on in the United States. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I could see. 10 Premier League games every weekend. <laughs> yeah. But there's only one here. It's not the one I want to watch. So <laughs> I thought that was ironic. But anyway. All right, Richard, thank you very much. And we'll look forward to doing this again. Cheers, Andy. Appreciate it. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Richard Smith. So join me again next week as my guest will be Todd Capone. Todd's the author of a book titled The Transparency Sale, How Unexpected Honesty and Understanding the Buying Brain Can Transform Your Results. And we're going to be talking about Todd's five hopes for the sales profession in 2020. And number one on his list, that we witness the death of all that nonsense about the death of sales. So we'll be getting into all five of his hopes as well as some other topics. So you definitely want to make sure you check it out. So be sure to join Todd and me next week for our conversation. Before you go, don't forget to visit andypaul.com. Get your copy of my sales growth planner. In it, I walk you through a step-by-step process to create an incredibly effective sales plan to help you hit your targets in 2020 or beyond. Now, this is the same sales plan, sales plan format that I've used throughout my sales career to personally close hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. It will help you as well. So for more information, visit andypaul.com forward slash planner to get your copy today. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.